Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You got barbecue back there, and you didn't invite me. Hurt my feelings. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Destination Devi's Injury Pod. I'm your host, Jeff Mueller, Doctor of Physical Therapy. We have a lot to break down, including some key injury information that we have found over the last week. Uh, As you all probably know by now from Thursday night's game, it has been announced that Justin Herbert has suffered a rib cartilage fracture after absorbing direct trauma to his left side while being tackled. He's been listed as day-to-day, but his range of outcomes will vary widely here, depending on the size of the fracture, the amount of pain he is in, and his healing rate. I do believe there is an outside chance of him playing in Week 3, although the Chargers have a relatively weak matchup against Jacksonville, so don't be surprised if they rest him to ensure his long-term health for the entire 22 uh, season, as well as reducing any potential risk for refracture or worsening of severity of symptoms. Despite a chance to play in Week 3, I would probably plan on his return being Week 4 or 5, uh, most likely Week 4. From here, I'll cover each injured, um, each key injured player by position in preparation for today's matchups. If you have any questions, please go to the Player Injuries channel in the Destination Devi Discord, and feel free to ask in there. And also follow me on Twitter at jmthrivept for quick injury updates as they occur. So at quarterback, Mac Jones, he had been uh, dealing with some back spasms after the game. He took a couple brutal hits. He had x-rays. Thankfully, they were negative for any fractures. And he's actually been uh, taken off the injury report. He did deal with some illness on Thursday, but it sounds like he'll play and he's good to go. I wouldn't play him unless you are rebuilding or um, you're in a two-quarterback or super flex league. If it's one quarterback, don't play Mac Jones. Jameis Winston, he's listed with a back injury. He was limited practice all week and listed as questionable, but it sounds like he's going to play. Minimal concern here. I think we'll be okay uh, regarding his weapons. Landry, Jarvis Landry, Michael Thomas, all that. So I'm not fading uh, the Saints there. At running back, DeAndre Swift has been dealing with an ankle sprain. Sounds like he suffered an ankle injury, ankle sprain, rolled it in the second quarter of week one's game, but he was able, as we saw, he was able to finish the game uh, and perform very well. He was a uh, uh, did not practice Wednesday and Thursday, limited practice on Friday, and technically he's listed as questionable. I actually have some good intel that he will be playing, barring any setback and warm-ups. Um, they're not expecting any setback, so I think we can start Swift with confidence here. Alvin Kamara, he's been dealing with some rib contusions. He was a limited practice on Wednesday and then did not practice Thursday or Friday, listed as questionable. 
I do have con some concern here, especially regarding one, limited snaps, uh, two, re-injury risk if he takes a, a big shot to the ribs, and then three, decreased efficiency with each touch he potentially gets in the game. I, you know, he's a, he's a hard guy to fade. He's a hard guy to sit. So I don't think we can bench him just due to his still even injured, um, even when injured, he has boom potential. Just know that his ceiling may be lower here. So you're probably still playing Alvin Kamara this week. If for whatever reason we do hear that he is not going to play or he's going to be on very limited snaps, again, I don't think we hear those things, but if we do, next man up would be Mark Ingram. However, Ingram has been dealing with an ankle sprain as well. Um, he has been a limited practice all week and Lissa is questionable. I'm not sure that we can start Mark Ingram with confidence, even if Kamara is inactive. So just watch that closely. Najee Harris, he miraculously has gone from dead for the season all the way to uh, full participation in the last two practices and not even listed on the injury report. There was speculation that he suffered a Liz Frank re-injury in week one, um, and he actually was limited. He, he wasn't able to return to the game, although he was standing on the sideline. So, you know, he's, he's a hard case to decide on because one, you probably drafted him or, or paid up for him this offseason to be your running back one or a very high end running back two. Uh, he has that weekly upside potential. So I, you know, he, it's hard to sit him. It's hard to bench him. I, I think you play him unless you have a very strong pivot. Uh, but I think you, you still have to play him due to his potential boom uh, potential this week. So just know the ceiling could very well be re-injury in game, limited snaps, you know, four or five points this week. Uh, could be his floor. J.K. Dobbins, he, you know, he is an awesome story here. We recently found out how much his injury truly entailed. Uh, hamstring tear, MCL, or I'm sorry, LCL, ACL, and meniscus. Um, you know, no wonder he's taken a, a long time to come back. He has been a full participant all week and technically listed as questionable. It sounds like he's going to play. For fantasy purposes, still sit him. Uh, we have to watch him play. We have to watch him perform and see how many snaps he's actually going to get. I think he's still going to be on very limited snaps for the first couple games. The staff doesn't want to risk his future. They want to make sure he's able to return close to 100%. So if he plays, I think it's still going to be limited snaps. Primarily, uh, the run game should primarily be through Kenyon Drake. So do not start J.K. Dobbins this week. Leonard Fournette, he's been dealing with a hamstring strain. Limited participant all week, listed as questionable. I do have a little bit of concern, but everything I've read sounds like he's going to play and not be limited. Um, you know, the Bucks during the offseason or preseason, we heard that they wanted to keep left tackle Lenny around 60 to 65% of the snaps, and he wound up playing 76% of the snaps week one. So I think we see a reduction of his overall snaps, but his ceiling... Uh, I have minimal concern about his ceiling, so you're still playing Leonard Fournette. Kenneth Walker, he'll, he'll be making his debut. Um, he's coming back from the hernia. I would not play Kenneth Walker. We have to see, kind of similar to J.K. Dobbins, we have to see his initial role. Uh, he's probably going to be on limited snaps. It'll probably be the Rashad Penny show still. Um, start Rashad Penny as a flex, running low-end running back two flex option just because the Niners' defense is pretty good but do not start Kenneth Walker this week. 
At the wide receiver position, we've heard Chris Godwin has already been ruled out with his hamstring strain. I will be talking more about Chris Godwin at the very end of this podcast, so feel free to keep listening towards the end there for a little extra um, intel. With this new hamstring strain, I wouldn't be surprised if he misses two to three weeks. It doesn't sound more serious than that. Um, I I do expect him to play probably week five or so return. Uh, The team will likely wait until he is fully back from this hamstring strain, just so there's minimal risk for re-injury. Mike Evans, uh, he has been dealing with a calf strain. He suffered it in the game week one, but thankfully was able to to finish the game, and he played 73% 73 of snaps. Um, This week in practice, he was a limited participant Wednesday, didn't practice Thursday for load management, and then limited on Friday. But everything, again, I've read is he's going to play. He's a guy that even even though he has some re-injury risk here, and there may be some risk for reduced volume, he's a guy who has a high chance of touchdowns, uh, of scoring a touchdown this week. And just say he has low volume, I think if he does score a touchdown, that can save your fantasy week. So I think, you know, I I would feel confident still playing Mike Evans this week. Julio Jones, on the other hand, I think he's he carries a lot more risk. He suffered a knee injury uh, in week one, and he only played around 52% of the snaps. You know, he th- that's 32 snaps, and in those 32 snaps, he only ran 21 routes run. So here with Julio, if he does play, one, you have the re-injury risk, but two, you're banking on efficiency with low route volume. So I think... You know, if you're dealing with a lot of other injuries, you might be able to play him as a wide receiver three flex option in a deep league, deep starting roster. But otherwise, you may want to consider benching him for someone who carries lower re-injury risk or lower volume risk. Russell Gage, he's a similar situation to Julio Jones. You know, Russell Gage is coming off a hamstring strain. He played week one. Doesn't sound like he re-injured it, but he was still limited practice uh, Thursday, Friday, and listed as questionable. And he actually ran less, he played less snaps and ran less routes than Julio did. You're really banking on high efficiency here with Russell Gage. So I would sit him. Michael Pittman has been ruled out with a hamstring strain. He he played all of week one, but he showed up to practice Wednesday letting the staff know, hey, I felt something in my leg. It doesn't feel right. Um, He was, uh, did not practice the last couple days and they have officially ruled him out. So get him out of your starting roster. T. Higgins, he's coming back from the concussion. Uh, He was a full participant on Friday, so he's trending towards playing. The last hurdle is he just has to be cleared by medical staff, by the neurologist. Um, He has to be cleared to play. It sounds like he is trending that way. It sounds like we'll be able to play him this week, so we should be able to feel confident getting him into our starting roster. Rondell Moore, he, as we know, has been dealing with a hamstring strain. He's already been ruled out. Um, just touching base on him, he suffered it midweek last week. So I won't be surprised. We, we may be without him for week three as well, uh, but just keep a close eye on that, uh, possibly week four for him. And then Andy Isabella has actually been ruled out. I guess he suffered a back injury at the very end of the game last week. So he's been ruled out. I wanted to touch base on these guys because if – Greg Dortch is on, I believe that's how you say his last name. If he is on the waivers for whatever reason, I would pick him up. You know, And he may be actually a flex-worthy play this week. He led the Cardinals in targets, in receptions, and receiving yards uh, in week one against the Chiefs. And he, got, he had all of those 
Um, I want to say seven catches for around 63 yards or so, I believe, off nine targets, if I remember correctly. Um, he had all but one catch. I think he had one catch for 11 yards in the second half. The rest of it was in the first half before it was a blowout. At most, it was 20 to 7. So that indicates a high role, high usage for him. And I think we can play him in flex. Um, I, would, I would avoid A.J. Green for now. Alan Lazard, he's coming back from the ankle sprain. He was a limited practice all three days of, of the week, and it does sound like he's going to play. I think we can insert him into, I think he's flex-worthy this week for our fantasy rosters. Uh, just keep a close eye on, on his status to make sure he is confirmed as active for this week. I'm also expecting more out of Robert Tanyan. He looked pretty good in his limited snaps. I believe he played... Um, I believe he played around 35 to 40% of the snaps last week, so uh, I do expect him to play more and get more targets this week. Kyle Phillips is a guy I'm keeping a close eye on, and because the Titans play on Monday, you may want to uh, pivot or play someone you know is confirmed playing on Sunday, unless you have other players who um, could potentially play on your, on your starting roster this week who also play on Monday where you can make a late decision. But Kyle Phillips may not play. He was in a non-contact jersey on Thursday, uh, not, or I'm sorry, I'm sorry, on Friday. Uh, not sure about Saturday just yet. But he suffered a left shoulder injury. It was on the very last play when he caught it. He was tackled out of bounds, and he placed his left hand down on the ground and either suffered a left AC sprain or it looked like a potential rotator cuff or labral injury to his left shoulder. So keep a really close eye on him. I don't know if we can play Kyle Phillips this week, even though he had a good week one. Kadarius Toney, he's coming back from, uh, man, he, what, what a story here. You know, first off, Kadarius Toney is living proof that injury prone is not a lie. He is, by definition, injury prone. Apparently, he suffered a re-injury to his hamstring on Thursday, and Brian Dable said it's the same leg, same leg that, that limited him all of camp and preseason, and it's a hamstring injury, but it could be more, whatever that means. He's been listed as questionable, but for fantasy purposes, he only played, what, seven snaps week one, I believe. So he's off my radar for most of the season until we at least see him play. Key here, though, I think Richie James becomes a really intriguing flex option, or at least for DFS, like a cheap receiving option. Um, James played 42 snaps, which was 100%. It led to 100% route participation. Uh, and he was open a lot. So James could wind up leading the team in receiving. Just keep a close eye on that. It's not like it's a, hey, I'm really excited to start Richie James, but he may be an option, especially with uh, Wandale Robinson out for a while. Wandale Robinson, I believe, has a, an MCL injury. It has not been con confirmed, but he was spotted uh, not participating in practice with a bulky brace on, which typically indicates some instability of the knee which again, no, no ACL, that would have been reported by now, so that, that indicates MCL injury. Tight ends, uh, big story here is George Kittle. He has been trying to come back from the groin strain. He suffered it uh, the Monday before week one. So he was a did not practice on Wednesday and Thursday and then a limited participant on Friday, and he looked decent. He looked pretty good running routes and moving around. We just don't know if he's going to play. Um, there's a couple risks here. One, for, you know, he's a high, moderate to high risk for re-injury. 
given the, the proximity of when the injury occurred. Also, he's a risk for limited snaps, and we, we just don't know the pass volume of the 49ers offense right now. We have to see Trey Lance improve upon his performance from week one. Uh, so I would recommend fading George Kittle. We also know Eric Branch on Twitter reported that George Kittle is unlikely to make his debut this, this week, most likely week three. So just keep a close eye on that. I would have a backup plan again for Kittle. Zach Ertz, he escaped any re-injury from uh, week one. He, had, he was dealing with a calf strain. He's actually off the injury report, so wheels up, especially with the other receiving options um, out, Rondale and uh, Andy Isabella out. I think Zach Ertz winds up seeing more snaps. He played about 61% of the snaps, I believe, from week one, and I think his targets increased. Last week, he, he saved fa- our fantasy weeks with a garbage-time touchdown, but I think we can rely on a little bit more volume this week. Same scenario with Logan Thomas. He looked really, really good uh, week one. He had three catches for, I believe, 53 yards. Um, And I I do believe, you know, Washington passed a lot. I I don't know if we can expect that much pass volume every single week. But if they do, if that continues, you know, Thomas becomes an intriguing option. I want to say he had about six targets. Um, So... And that was in his first week back from a serious ACL, uh, bilateral meniscus injury, MCL injury. So I think we can rely on him and, and actually insert him into our starting rosters this week at tight end. That covers all main injuries this week. Now, I, I wanted to spend this next bit of time discussing the Chris Godwin and the He Wasn't Ready thread that I posted a few days ago. If you're just interested in the week, the weekly injury news for your starting lineups today. You can probably stop listening now. I wish you good luck this week, and thanks for tuning in. Um, if you do want to continue listening, you know I think this is, um, if, if you want to hear some extra info regarding ACL recovery, keep on listening, and just bear with me through some of this boring data info that I'll share. It's pretty intriguing, especially towards the end. Um, I think it gives, you know, one, I want to I want to share this information because I'm passionate about helping you and providing you guys the best injury information. And I think this is important information to share. But also it's it's part of my job too. You know, I I, I wanna you guys are trying to win money and we're trying to figure out good value plays here. So this this information should be important moving forward for multiple cases, not just Chris Godwin's. Uh, for fantasy purposes. This next info may be important for us to remember for guys like, you know, I think we see it again, um, where if we, see, if we see a player returning soon, like a Michael Gallup from an ACL injury, like if Michael Gallup ends up playing before week seven, this information is going to be really important. If you are a student physical therapist or a new grad, I know some of you guys follow me as well, uh, I think this content will be helpful to you in particular. There was much debate so getting to the Chris Godwin details, there was much debate about Godwin's timeline to return, knowing that he had returned at eight months, nine days post-op. There was specifically debate from a, a relatively new grad, PT on here, pretty popular, regarding his lack of contact and practice, as well as the fact that he shouldn't have returned to play before hitting exactly nine months in his timeline for recovery. The lack of contact is ticky-tacky, in my opinion, uh, as that isn't even a standardized requirement to be cleared for return to play. There are many other more important variables to hurdle in order to return. That's not a standardized return requirement. Um, 
And also, we saw in the game, Godwin, one, before the game, Godwin said he's not concerned. Two, he absorbed contact just great. You know, I know he suffered this hamstring strain, but it was on a non-contact play. Uh, so contact wasn't even wasn't even in consideration here. But also, it was it was the typical mechanism for a hamstring strain. So I think the the, the lack of contact here in practice leading up to week one, I, th- I honestly think we can dismiss that. The area I want to focus on is the timeline, because especially if you are a student PT or within your first few years of practicing, it is really easy to simply focus on the provided protocol from the surgeon, that piece of paper that lists timetables for various hurdles. That is simply because you don't have the clinical experience to fall back on, and that's okay. That's okay. You know, that's, you're, that's what you're relying on and you're learning as you go. So you're, you're simply relying on book knowledge and the minimal amount of clinical experience you've obtained in your clinical rotations. And then hopefully you have some mentorship that you're getting from whoever, you know, the more experienced PTs that you're working with. My number one advice would be, do not be a protocol-based physical therapist. There is no difference between being a protocol-based physical therapist and being a glorified personal trainer who has the ability to guide someone's rehab based on a a written-out protocol, that piece of paper. Instead, be a program-based physical therapist. So instead of protocol-based, be a program-based. And by that, I mean be a clinician. A clinician has the ability to take into consideration the written protocol and use it as a guide as 10 to 15% of that patient's plan of care. The rest of that plan of care is determined by that specific individual's healing rate and progress. And as they meet various hurdles of mobility, muscle strength, functional testing, hop testing, agility testing, return to sport testing, including jumping, landing, perturbation assessment, cutting, change of direction, all of that, and very importantly, psychological testing, continuously ask your patients, are you ready for this? Where do you feel like your recovery is at? And continue to point them towards function. You know, continue to encourage them. All of that is more important than the timetable. Because if you if you are minimizing those variables, all of those variables that I just listed, and placing more importance on the very specific timeline listed on the protocol, that piece of paper, then you aren't being a clinician. And you may wind up missing key pieces of information that places the patient either ahead of schedule or behind schedule. You're simply following a piece of paper. You're not using your clinical reasoning. Like a Chris Godwin, this example, who wound up being ahead of schedule, if you are minimizing those variables, there's nothing differentiating you as a doctor of physical therapy from the medical sales guy who posts injury content over at PFF by simply reading off return to play protocols without providing a single shred of clinical reasoning behind it. Don't be that guy. And, And don't be the young PT who lacks experience, who simply relies on those timetables and tells your patients, No, you can't do that because you're still two weeks away from where you should be based on this piece of paper until you should be cleared for that. My encouragement, be a clinician. Treat each and every patient individually per their own progress. And for fantasy, this is what we need to do. This is is how we need to view these injuries. Not every single person falls under the guidelines of this this data. You know, you have these, these data points that take into consideration more athletic players and less athletic players. 
So these two to four week timetables, these, these nine month to 12 month timetables, they may not fit these more explosive, more athletic players. And, and, you know, we need to take into consideration all the new information that we're getting from the teams themselves. So now really important for this Chris Godwin situation, getting into the data here, I don't believe that he returned too early. Guys, we are arguing about a 21-day difference. That's it. 21-day difference. He returned at eight months, nine days. And guess what? The Bucks medical staff cleared him to play. Right? There's, no, there's zero chance that they did not take him through an extensive battery of tests in order to clear him. And most importantly, one of the last variables that we even heard from himself was the psychological readiness. Godwin stated, you know, in the psychological readiness, Godwin stated, the last variable is whether I feel ready to go or not. And he obviously did because he cleared, he, the medical staff cleared him and he said, I'm ready to go. That is psychological readiness. And there's research backing psychological readiness and an improved return to play with a lower re-injury risk. Now, looking into the data, the research, since research has primarily been used to attack the Bucks medical staff and Godwin's early return to play because he hadn't hit nine months in his recovery yet, there's plenty of research out there, right? But focusing on the specific publication from Gridham et al., that looks specifically at high-level football players, just football players, returning to play. Stick with me because this, this stuff's kind of boring, I know, but it has a point. He stated that for every month that return to sport was delayed until nine months after ACL reconstruction, the rate of knee re-injury was reduced by 51%. Now, I know he says nine months. I'm going to dig into that in a little bit. Bear with me. Re-injury risk, defined as re-tear of the ACL graft or any other knee-specific related injury, including soft tissue injuries, so hamstring, quad, calf, etc. Re-injury risk with return to play around six months was around 39%. So what does that mean moving forward? As seven months return to play, there would be a roughly 20.1% risk of re-injury with the, we've, with the reduced or the reduction of re-injury risk reducing every month. So seven months, 20.1% risk of re-injury. At eight months, roughly a 10.24% risk. At nine months, the typical clear window, a 5.23% risk, right? So between that eight-month to nine-month window, one more month, there's roughly 5.01% reduction of re-injury risk. So given Godwin returned at eight months and nine days, Given his time frame, the difference wound up placing him at roughly 8.74% re-injury risk. So we're arguing about this 21-day window, this 21-day difference that would have placed him instead of 8.74% re-injury risk at roughly 5.01% re-injury risk. Guys, we're arguing about a 3.51% re-injury risk difference. And I know these are estimates, but that's how little of a percentage we're arguing about of, oh, he wasn't ready, or yeah, he was. Either way, being below a 10% re-injury re risk, so a low re-injury risk. What, what are we doing here? As clinicians, let's use our heads a little here. 
Let's be clinicians. Let's use our clinical reasoning and step above what the data says and truly assess. What does this mean for our patients? What does this mean for these players for fantasy? If they're ready, if they pass every single objective measure, why are they not ready? Why are we questioning from our couches so much what the team's medical staff, you know, these guys, the medical staff, are the ones spending all this time with these high-level athletes taking them through a battery of assessments, taking them through a battery of tests to clear them. And he was cleared. Diving further, when looking at the actual data from this publication, there were 38 players who returned before that nine-month timeline in recovery. 15 of those 38 suffered a re-injury. That sounds like a lot, right? That's a 40% re-injury rate of those 38 players who returned before nine months. For those 15 players who did suffer a re-injury, their return to play was between five and a half months and 6.4 months, right? So what about the other three? And again, I want you to hear that. The 15 who did suffer re-injuries, the latest any of those 15 returned was six, or I'm sorry, the the, the earliest, technically, would be 6.4 months. The other 23 out of those 38 players who returned before nine months, the other 23 did not suffer a re-injury. So what was the return to play for those 23? It was between 6.4 months and 8.2 months. 8.2 months. No re-injuries in these, these 23 players, all playing football. Guess what Chris Godwin's return to play was? He was officially at 8.3 months. So we're sitting here from our couches arguing about a 21-day difference that would have placed him at directly nine months to the date and reduced his re-injury risk by roughly 3%. What are we doing? Stop being protocol-based PTs and be a clinician. Use your head. Use your clinical reasoning. Use what we know about these injuries, what we know about these high-level athletes, what we know about teams' medical staff and how they clear them, how they go about making sure these players are ready to play. Now, I bring all of this up because, one, the position that Chris Godwin was placed in, by all accounts from any experienced clinician that I've talked to, uh, was a clear, typical mechanism for hamstring strain. I have little doubt that anyone placed in that specific position would not have come out of that play without a hamstring strain. Deceleration with his leg extended while while dropping low for a pass, placing excessive tensile strain on the tissue. That is going to lead to a hamstring strain almost every single time. Now we can get into the argument of, well, Chris Godwin, due to his circumstances coming back from the ACL recon on the right side, he is at more risk in that specific position position than, say, some other player who wasn't coming off an ACL tear uh, for suffering a hamstring strain. Yes, probably, but that's not the point, right? If he wasn't placed in that position, there's a decent chance that he escapes that game from any re-injury and no one is talking about, oh, he returned too soon. Plus, we also know in 2020, in in September, I believe nine, the game was on September 27th, 2020, I believe, he suffered a right hamstring strain that wound up costing him two games. So he has, I know he had the ACL on the right side, he has a past history of these hamstring strains. 
two, bringing this up because I guarantee you that some other player, and I think we will see it soon with Michael Gallup here. Um, you know, if Michael Gallup plays before, I want to say actually week seven, which that same PT said, oh, I think Michael Gallup can play by week seven, which ironically enough, he was arguing Chris Godwin returned too soon. Week seven for Michael Gallup, which he's projecting him to return by, would place him at eight months and seven days. So you're, say, you're arguing the same thing. We're going to see it here soon with Michael Gallup that some other player will return from an ACL tear before nine months is up and the overwhelming majority of people will claim this is too soon. There's too much risk. And it'll lead you to either fade that player or potentially sell a player who otherwise should probably be held on your roster. I want to be in the business of being a level-headed clinician who gives you the best injury advice and makes you money instead of being scared and losing value on these players unnecessarily. That's very important to me. That's my job here. That's, that's what I'm passionate about. We must not make bad value plays. That's how you lose. That's how you lose value. That's how you lose your leagues. That's how you make bad bets. We aim for taking advantage of value plays so that you have an edge over every single person in your league. And so you make money and you win. I'm very passionate about that. So I, I hope I hope this information helps. I want you, I, I shared that at the end of this podcast because we need to keep that in mind for any future injuries that occur, especially ACLs. And, and I guarantee you guys, this is going to happen, right? Let's be smart about it. Let's take each individual case by individual case instead of just saying, well, the data says this, so this is what's going to happen. It's not the case. We have to play it individually. You listened to the end of that. I thank you. I thank you for taking the time to listen to that, uh, possibly a rant from me. But again, I, I hope it's helpful. I hope it helps you make better decisions, especially regarding these injured players. Um, and I wish you best of luck for week two. Hopefully we all come out with wins. 